I don't know how you feel about cliches, right? Those sayings that have sort of become part of our, just our regular vernacular and we just talk about them, but they're, sometimes they have a negative connotation, but something has become a cliche because it's at least mostly true, right? We don't, we don't usually go around and adopt uh, uh, sayings that don't hold any value. And right now you see it every year. It's on Christmas cards, it's on billboards that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? There's some truth in that, right? We could have used a little bit more economy of words and just had it be Jesus is the reason and just left it at that because he's the reason for everything. But at this time where the world at least pumps the brakes a little bit and, and, and turns their head a little bit more than maybe they typically do toward Jesus, I pray that we take advantage of that opportunity that's been given to us. Normally, you might mention Jesus to somebody and it's a door slammed in your face. But during this season, right, when the red and green comes out and the city's put candy canes and all kinds of stuff to line our streets, when you're going to kids' Christmas uh, programs, there's an opportunity. Things soften a little bit. So I pray that we take advantage of the opportunity that's been given. And I pray that this Advent season has been that, right, that Jesus is the reason in the midst of that uneasy silence that may last for a long, long time, remember, love came down. In the midst of the chaos and the confusion that swirls around us, Jesus came down. Today, we're going to focus on something that's, to be honest, is, is easy for us to recognize in other people, right? But when it comes to self-reflection, sometimes we have blinders on. So today, right, make sure your elbows are tucked tightly in right? None of this to the person sitting next to you. He's talking to you, right? This is, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me, right? We're looking inside today, right? Once we have that mastered, right? Then we can start flinging elbows in a loving way, right? Paul talks about the holy kiss, right? Maybe we'll become a church of the holy elbow. I don't know. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter two, and I would like to, we don't do this all the time, don't do it as often as we should, but I would like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And as always, if you need a Bible to follow along here and or take home, there's some in the windows, there's some in the back, considered a gift to you or someone who needs one. Uh, so Luke chapter two, starting in verse number eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I want you to hold on to that, right? These are not like glampers, right, out on some, these are guys who made their living being outside, protecting helpless sheep from predators, right? And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy uh, that you that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who, whom he pleased, is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, uh, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they, all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Father God, we thank you for these few verses. Some of the most promising and truth-packed verses in all of Scripture. God, we are grateful for, who, for a king who came as a baby, who lived life as we lived, who was tempted in every way we are tempted, and who gives us a perfect example of how we are to pursue our lives for you. But God, today, help us to see him as the only object of our devotion, love, and worship. God, we love you, and we pray that today not only do you open our heads, but you connect our heads to our hearts and transform uh, our ability to chase after Jesus only. And it's in his name we pray, amen. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Glorifying, praising for all they had seen and heard. Well, what had they seen and heard? Well, for that you had to go from verse 20 uh, back to verse 10 and to verse 11. And pastors are guilty of saying, now this is the most important verse in all, or chapter in the scripture. And I'm not gonna say it's the most, but it's one powerful two verses linked together, right? Because here we have God coming to earth and look at what is packed into these few sentences. Fear not, for, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Now, let's look at these words here a little bit, right? Uh, good news. If you dig down deep into that, right, and you go back to, to, the, to earlier original language, and you go back to the Greek, this, this, this phrase, good news, is, I have to look at the lizers while I say this so I can say it right. It's you and Joe Lizamai. You and Joe Lizamai is the Greek word. It's the word we get evangelism from. It's the word that we get gospel from, right? He is talking, right? Luke, as he writes, is, is talking about the good news that we celebrate as the gospel. And, and look at what it talks about here. It's, it talks about great joy, rejoicing, and, and happiness, and gladness, right? It talks about for all the people, all right? Let's dig down again. If you take that word, uh, that word all, and you dig down deep into the Greek for it, it's the word Paul, P-A-S. You know what P-A-S means in Greek? When you dig down deep, it means all, right? Good news for all people, right? Not just the people who were living in Bethlehem at the time, not just for the people who were going to live during the time of Jesus, uh, for all people, Everywhere, all times. But look at how he describes this, what is contained in this, this good news. Right? For uh, uh, unto you, <laughs> a Savior is born. Savior. He's going to save you. He's going to conquer and free you from what holds you back. Now, that may look different for all of us, right? the, the specifics of it. But for all of us, that is sin. Jesus is coming to deliver earth from that which has enslaved it since we fell, right? Who is Christ, 
Right? This is important because this isn't some random dude that's just coming onto the scene. This isn't, this isn't plan C after God's plan A and B have failed. No, this is the anointed, the appointed one who since before the beginning of time was coming to redeem. He is going to save you and he is appointed and anointed by God. And he is the Lord. Right? He is sovereign. He is ruler. He is king. We talk about all the time here that Jesus cannot be your savior if he is not also your king, your Lord. And this baby that we celebrate, right, is the anointed saving king. Now, there's a debate over sort of the social standing of shepherds. Some people think they were complete outcasts. Maybe at best they were considered respectable, hardworking people because their job uh, was, was underappreciated a lot of the times. But when it came like Passover time, guess whose doors were getting knocked down? Shepherd, right? We've traveled. We need a sacrifice. Right? So, but it's interesting to me, and we'll tie this in a little bit later, that the first worshipers of the baby Jesus were shepherds. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. All throughout Scripture, God's objective is pretty clear, right? Just like these shepherds were worshiping the one true God, the Messiah, Savior, King, we are all directed in this book to have that same Savior, King as our sole object of focus and worship, God makes that pretty clear. You can go to a place like Exodus chapter 20 where he's given his people a list of commandments, the Ten Commandments. and He starts off with, no other God. I'm it. Right? Don't, and the second one was like, don't even make a trinket of anything. Right? No idols. Right? It's me and me alone. You go over to the New Testament in, in Matthew chapter 12 where, where they, they're wanting Jesus just to boil it down. Hey, condense this down for us. Like, what's the most important thing? Right? If, if we could like slide everything else, what do we need to just hold on to? And what does Jesus say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. No other gods love me with all of your being. Choose me, choose him over everything else. Unfortunately, we have this book of our history that shows us example after example of our idolatrous history, of us choosing something else over God. We can go clear back to the beginning pages of Scripture. Adam and Eve chose a lie from Satan over the truth of God. They chose something over God. You can go to Cain, who thought he understood more about what made up a good sacrifice than God did. So he chose murder of his brother instead of devotion after God. You can go and you can look at us and we try to, we realize something and we think, ah, we're pretty smart. So God told us to do one thing, but oh, look at this nice plane. Would this be a great place for us to show off? So we build a tower so that we can reach the heavens, right? And we the Tower of Babel, and we know what happened there because we chose something over God. While Moses, the leader of the Israelites, was up on the mountain talking to God, we were down on the plain saying, give us a God to Aaron. So we throw in our valuables, golden calf, and we start worshiping, right? 
didn't end up, wasn't a fine day for us, right? Because we chose something over God. Achan, right? Go and look up at this, this story in Joshua 7. Achan was a part of the army that was going into the promised land, and, and God said, hey, the victory is enough. Don't take any spoils for yourself. Achan, like, mm, that's pretty, right? I think I'm going to take this, right? Didn't end well for him and his family. They lined up all of Israel and systematically went through until, oh, Achan's standing there, hopefully a little red-faced, right? Did not end well for Achan because he chose something over God. Pastor's kids, sorry, didn't mean to look at the Elliots right then. All right. Oh, there's the foremans. All right, we'll look back this way. Pastor's kids get a bad rap sometimes, right? Hophni and Phineas didn't help it out any, right? They were Eli's sons. Right? Eli was a priest, a high priest, right? Uh, and, and, ha- and his sons were not nice PKs, priest kids. Right? They started to think it was more about them, so they started like, uh, people were bringing in sacrifices, people were bringing in money, uh, that will fit right here nicely, or, uh, and they were not good guys because they chose a little bit of money in their pocket over God. Right? 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you want to read about that later. Right? The, the, we started trusting in our abilities. Also, we're getting ready to con- conquer our new home, uh, the, the promised land, right? 12 guys go in, 10 come back and saying, no way, we can't do that. Those guys are big. The grapes are the size of basketballs. There's no, we're like grasshoppers. They chose to not trust in their own abilities over than believing in the God who had just done some amazing things to lead them out of captivity. You can go over to the New Testament and you have Ananias and Sapphira who belonged to the early local church and they saw a buddy, a brother, Barnabas, like giving a lot of money, selling stuff and giving it to the, the, the kingdom work. And like, and he's like, people are patting him on the back. And, like, and this is a little bit of conjecture here by Tony, but like they see him getting those pats on the back and like, I want some of that. So they sell, they sell some property. They don't have to give it all to the church. Nowhere does it say, hey, hey you have to sell everything, give everything in that, in that moment. But they, when asked, I said, is this all of it? They said, yeah. Because, and they chose the attaboys rather than God. And it did not end well for them. You see in Acts chapter 14, a little bit of pastor worship, where, where people are thinking that Paul and Barnabas are, are gods, right? And they were choosing a good communicator, a bold man, an encourager over the worship of, of, of God. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, we are having none of that. We... God's people, God's creation had become experts at being very religious. So much so that in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is is visiting uh, Athens, when he's visiting Greece and he's standing there in the Areopagus, and I have to imagine a little bit here that Paul has sort of a smirk on his face when he's saying this, uh, because this is just a little bit funny when when you think about where he's standing. And In Acts chapter 17 and verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, so all this, I mean, go back, even if your your image of uh, of ancient Greece is Disney's Hercules, imagine what this would be like with with all of this surrounding, all these, these beautiful buildings and temples, not to the one true God, but to all of these other gods surrounding you. So Paul says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. 
I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. We have all these, we have a sun God, we have a river God, we have a moon God, and just in case we missed anything, let's have an idol, a temple to, some, to an unknown God, just to be safe. We have taken God's blessings even at times and turned them into objects of worship. The Israelites had this, and one of their gods was nostalgia. As they were wandering through the the wilderness, right, for 40 years, they kept thinking back to Egypt and how good they had it in Egypt, right? That is like nostalgia on a whole nother level. Um, It says, we remember, right, this is from, from Numbers chapter 11, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. So maybe Egypt just wanted to kick them out because of their bad breath. Um, but but they, they're looking back at, on this time of severe slavery and saying, didn't we have it good? And we're so tired of this manna. We take the blessings from God and we, we elevate them and, uh, to something over to God. Every idol that we have chosen throughout our history showed that we value something else more than we value God. Every, in fact, every sin that we commit is an act of idolatry because it shows that we valued, we loved, we trusted something or someone more than we did God. We have pages upon pages upon pages, generations upon generations of examples uh, that, that show us is that are there to, to teach us. That's what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right, now uh, he, he, he's pointing out to these, these people, that this, the, the early church, that, that these things took place in Romans 10, or 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. Paul's saying, let's look back at our history and all these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, when, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as they did. Now, we were talking about digging deep, right? Um, here is something, uh, here's a section of scripture that you could dig deep in. Right? Because it talks about this rock that was with them in the, in the Old Testament, that is, that is Christ, who was Christ. Right? And here it's talking about all this imagery uh, and all these examples, uh, these events that took place. And he's saying, we not, must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. All of our shortcomings in the past were recorded here for us so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. How's it working for us? Verse 14 of that chapter says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Right? Not take a step back. Not, don't watch 30 minutes of it on TV. Flee from it. That's hightailing it in the other direction. Flee from idolatry. But we chase after it far too often until it's too late 
till it's almost too late. And we often don't even realize that it's infecting, affecting our bodies because idolatry is a slick, slick thing. It's a powerful enemy. It's able to infiltrate our lives in such an easy, seamless, almost natural way. It's so easy to creep into our most precious areas of life, our relationships. We make, we make God's, lowercase g, we make idols out of some things that, we should have, that are meant to be blessings from God. Can we run few through, through a few of them? Spouses. We make idols, we make gods often out of our spouses. Um, Craig Rochelle, uh, well-known pastor, church leader, does a, stuff, a lot of stuff with leadership. But the thing that I love, his work that I love the most is a book called From This Day Forward. And it's about marriage and preparing for marriage. And if, if you've been married by me in the last several years, we've probably talked about that book or even used it for premarital counseling. And from this day forward, we're going to chase after God because a lot of times when we find that one, right? We, and this is two weeks in a row where I've quoted Jerry Maguire. I promise you, I'm not like a big fan of this movie or anything. But, but he says, you complete me. And that's what we do with a spouse. You complete me. And we make that spouse our number one. So we put them on a pedestal. And what does that only allow them to do? fall. Right? What we idolize, we're going to end up demonize. Right? Uh, so in, the, in his writing, in his teaching and in counseling, he talks about never make your spouse your number one. Make them your number two. Pursue your number one together. We can take something beautiful, something that was ordained by God way back here and make it into an idol. Right? How about children? How often, all right, remember, we're just looking at us. We're not looking at anybody else. We're just looking inside. How often do we elevate our children to the place uh, of an idol, to a God, maybe trying to relive our past or our, our incomplete, insufficient past in our eyes uh, into something else? We elevate them over a worship and teaching of God, right? For me, guys, I'm going to be pretty honest with you. My extended family was, a, was, was this for me, right? You guys hear me talk about my, my grandparents, Right? My, my grandfathers, who I knew as nothing else than elders, leaders, leaders in the local church and local community, right? men of integrity, and it seemed that, that their umbrella of faith formed this force field over all of us. The marriages were rock solid. Right? The, the, everybody was going to church and serving in their community. They all had, they all had this, this deep-rooted faith until they didn't. And sin creeps in through, idolatry creeps in. So this lady starts looking better uh, than my wife or th this, this guy starts looking, uh, looks, looks more attractive and more attentive than my husband and decisions are made and that, that God that I had as a family crumbled. And I'll be honest with you, it hurt. Right? I have a list of books that I want to write. That's at the top of it. What happens when you're idle, when you're Eden falls. Right? Because I made family a God and when it crumbled a little bit, when there was a chink in that armor, it wrecked faith and took some relearning and some refocusing. Our spouses, our family, our extended family. Hey, how about this one? How about a pastor? And I'm not talking about here, but how many times have you been involved in a, in a church where the pastor leaves? And it's like punching that church in the gut. Some people might follow the pastor if he went locally. Other people start looking for other churches because we've elevated a pastor above worship of God. And I pray that whenever I'm done here, Gretchen's done here, Mark is done here, that this church barely notices 
because our attention is so centered on Jesus Christ. Right? And it's even worse in my mind, like I hate seeing Christian leaders uh, that have a, a big audience fall, but you know what? They're guys, they're gals, just like us, right? And when we see somebody, a well-known person that has a large audience fall, we're like, oh, not again. It's because we place that person high up on this perch as an idol, How about a political party or a job? Maybe it's a talent you have. Maybe it's your desires or your will or your hobbies. Money, maybe it's as 1 Timothy 6 tells us, maybe it's money. Maybe it's Ecclesiastes 10. Maybe it's pride that gets in our way. Maybe it's our appetites. Remember a few weeks ago, we read from Philippians chapter three, our end or their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, they glory in their shame and with minds set on earthly things. Just like the people of Athens, we have been experts at covering all of our bases. We chase after fame, we chase after fortune, we chase after power. And then we have this over here that we can't really name, this unknown God. But sure, it sure is distracting in our pursuit of the one true king. Last week, I, we said that uh, the, the best indicator of where our attention and our love is, is our calendar and our financial statements. Where our time and where our money are spent gives us a pretty good indication of who, what we worship. And just as our history, it rings true today. Every time we choose something over God, it's idolatry. Every sin we commit is an act of idolatry because it shows we value something or someone else more than God. So how do these idols creep into our lives? Well, It's because we don't pay attention. We become comfortable. We become complacent. We're just going with the flow. We get wrapped up in raising kids. We get wrapped up in getting ahead uh, in in life, of getting established, of buying a first Just Life just consumes us. So we end up making good things the best things. And when we do that, when we get things out of order, right? But when we make good things the best things, we're going to be disappointed when they fall when they disappoint us. We, we worship that which was created often by our own hands over the creator. We take blessings from God uh, and we make them more important than God. We desire more from God rather than just desiring God and more of him. Any C.S. Lewis fans in the room? Right, my favorite of C.S. Lewis's books is this interesting book called The Screwtape Letters. Right, now, if you, want to sit, you have to get in the mode, okay, because it's written a little bit different, right? Because it's written from a demon's perspective, screw tape. And he is a trainer, he's a seasoned demon, right? Whose, whose job is to train up his apprentice, Wormwood. This is the younger demon. And it's interesting because when you read of the enemy in that book, he's talking about God because that's who they are working against. As Wormwood, is, he's been assigned a person, he's been assigned a family in which to influence uh, for his God. So the whole book is just this, this interaction between uh, Screwtape and Wormwood on how Wormwood can do his job as a demon better, about getting his family, his individuals off track after chasing after their enemy the one true God. And there's this, this, this sentence in the book where Screwtape is telling Wormwood, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. All we have to do is get them distracted. Right? We don't have to get them to deny God completely. We just need to get them distracted. 
And that's why idolatry is so powerful is because it gets us just a little bit distracted over what is best for us. So as we wind down, right, as we, as we start to land this plane, I want to ask you a few questions. This morning, what are your lowercase g gods? What idols have you erected in your life? What idols have you placed high on the priority list in your lives? Were they on that list that we ran through quickly? Right, or is it something completely different? Right? Now, I'm going to tell you something. All of us have them. Right? So as we're looking inward, right, do the hard work right, of letting the Spirit guide you in determining and discerning what those are so they can be drug out and dealt with. But what are the gods, what are the idols in your life today? Second, how are these things... How are these idols, are these gods, how are they doing at being your God? And now don't give me just a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I'm rolling in the dough. It's great. It's all going well. Right? If you're honest, right, you can go, eh, at best. If you look over the long haul, right, you got to say terrible. Right? If money is your God, you're never going to have enough of that God. If, if pleasure is your God, you're going to ruin everything else as you chase after and pursue that God. If power is your God, it's going to leave you unsatisfied when you learn that somebody else has more power than you. If, if people are your God, even those closest to you, you're going to be disappointed. Even by a spouse, even by your children, even by your closest confidant, we're going to be disappointed by that person if they become our God. Is it your health? Well, let me tell you, Sooner or later, it's going to betray you. Is it, is it knowledge? Is knowledge your God? Well, that's going to be punched in the gut as soon as you realize that you're not always the smartest person in the room. All of these things are terrible, terrible gods. Why? Because all of these things were never meant to have first place in our heart. They were never meant to be the object of our attention and of our affection. Matthew 12 again, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your being. None of these other gods can meet your every need at every moment in your life. Why? They weren't created for that. They were created to point us to the one true God, the one true King. He's the only one who can supply every need. That's Paul. That's scripture talking. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God... My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That baby king, that savior, that Messiah, that Lord is the only one. John three sixteen and following. For God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, whomever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in 
God. Jesus came to save, to deliver, not to condemn. Those other gods, those are your condemners. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The first worshipers of that baby king, shepherds, shepherds coming in from the field, worshiping the good shepherd who will eventually lay down his life for them. We've already talked about how Jesus as the good news, the anointed, the appointed, the savior, the king, and we are now we see him as the shepherd, the one who gives his life for you. Love came down at just the right time when we needed something better to worship. Love came down. Jesus came down and his strategy was to live a life and to conquer death with his sole weapon as love. Not to sneer at our ineptness, not to heap more burdens upon us, not to cast more doubts and unbelief in our lives, not to cut bait when things get tough and we we refuse to listen and pay attention. No, because Jesus isn't like that. True love isn't like that. Our tie into 1 Corinthians 13 this morning is found in six, verses 6 and 7. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When we slide Jesus into that as a true premier example of love, he, he endured all things for us. Jesus came down to rejoice as we accept him as truth and place our hope in him. And that right there flies in the the face of any other worldview. God came down to rejoice, not to demand, not to squish. We have to see that for what it is. As the praise team comes back up to lead us, they're gonna lead us in a song called Manger Throne. We're going to ask that you stay seated during this. We're going to sing two songs to wrap up, both of them as a time for us to just reflect and respond. However you need to respond this morning, we ask that you do that, whether maybe you haven't placed your faith in this Savior baby king who grew and lived just like we did, but did it perfectly without sin and then died in our place. Maybe you haven't surrendered to him. Maybe today is that morning. Maybe you just have something that you need to lay, take off your shoulders and, and, and put in front of your father in prayer. Let this faith family uh, pray with you. Respond how you need to. But I want you to listen to these songs, because, to this song, because it talks about you, Jesus, could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see, brought every tribe and nation to their knees, arriving with a host of heaven in royal robe and crown, the rulers of earth all bowing down. But you chose meekness over majesty wrapped your power in humanity. You could have marched in all your glory in the heart of Rome, uh, showed them splendor like they'd never known, but you wrote a better story in humble Bethlehem, creator in the arms of common men. You will die for our redemption and you'll rise so we can live. From heaven to the cradle, from cradle to the cross, let heaven and nature sing. This is our King. 
but the grave couldn't hold him. Our God has overcome. Let heaven and nature sing. This is our King. Glory be to you alone, King who reigns from a manger throne. My life, my praise, everything I own to Jesus, the King on a manger throne.